The New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by BNZ, helping you be good with money. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Welcome along to Episode 5 of the New Zealand Business Podcast. In this edition, recorded at the Epic Centre in Christchurch, I'm talking with Sean Ryan, CEO and founder of listed company SLI Systems. How are you, Sean? Very good, and thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Maybe you can start at the beginning, give us a little bit of a background in terms of you know where SLIs come from. I know you and, and your brother were involved in, in founding the business. That goes back quite a way. Maybe you can paint a bit of a picture of those early days. Yeah, so the business started uh, like a lot of businesses do with an idea um, that my brother had when he was hungover back in 1998, <laughs> uh, one Sunday morning. Um, and uh, his idea was on how to improve internet searching. At the time, Alta Vista was the dominant search engine, and um, it was great, but the results were full of spam. And what you do is you just skip over the spam and click on the results that look like they're any good. So Grant's idea was, well, why don't they bring the results that people click on the most up to the top? It would improve the relevance of the search. And so from that idea, he uh, Grant's a mechanical engineer, so he's mm-hmm. not a software engineer. Yep. So he got me involved and some others. Um, and started this company called Global Brain to try and sell that technology to a web search engine in the US. Uh, What he succeeded in doing, a search engine called Snap.com, he managed to do a deal that was worth uh, $5 million, licensed the technology with a little more than a prototype. Um, And uh, and then once we did that deal, we actually hired some people, built out the technology properly, um, built it out here in Christchurch. Um, And then a year later... Uh, Snap.com had rebranded themselves to uh, NBCI. They were part of the NBC, the TV network. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up buying that company, Global Brain, for like $32 million. Wow. So that 98 was the idea, 99 was the $5 million licensing deal, 2000 was the sale for $32 million US um, of, of stock, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> NBCI how, did, was, how did that work out? <laughs> well, NBCI was listed on the NASDAQ, and it, 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 its stock had a peak of 106 and then bottomed out at $2.19. Right, right. Uh, which is where we got out. Um, <laughs> so so we made a whole lot of money, and then it sort of all pretty much evaporated into nothingness. Yeah. Um, Grant got a little bit of money out of that and decided to go off and do some other things, and his story is a whole other story. He started a bunch of other companies. Um, but a few of us from Global Brain got together there was myself and four others, and founded SLI Systems, bought our technology back off NBCI, and set about using the web search technology we had developed for Global Brain to implement uh, site search, because most websites um, either didn't have a site search, or if they did, it was really, really poor. Yeah, and it was probably pretty unusual at that time to have a have any sort of quality search, if at all. Yeah, no, it was, we, we could just see there was a huge opportunity. Um, and so we set about selling that site search as a as a service. Um, so we were sort of fairly early on in that software as a service. It wasn't even called that back then. Um, so that was in 2001. And uh, really difficult time to do business. Um, the dot-com crash was in full swing, and uh, September 11 happened a month after we started. Uh, so it was a difficult time to raise money, difficult time to find customers, but we got our first sort of few customers, got some revenue coming in the door, um, enough to cover our costs and then just bootstrap the company and started growing from there. 
That's great. Now, where were, where were you based? You know, throughout these things, because now you've got uh, you've got your office here uh, in Christchurch. You're also uh, spread out internationally. With um, uh, you've got a base in London, is that right? As well as San Francisco. Yeah. So we uh, our, our biggest office is here in Christchurch um, in the Epic Building. Um, but we also our next biggest office is San Jose in, in uh, California, okay. so just south Great. of San Francisco. Um, and then we have, and I think we've got about forty odd people in that office. And then we've got about f- getting towards twenty in London, I think. Um, we're busy hiring, so I haven't got all these numbers straight in my head. And, <laughs> and then we have uh, an office with about seven in, in Melbourne, uh, in Australia. How have you got from those early days to to where you are now? How have you sort of kept things on track, particularly during what was really a harder time uh, to be selling earlier on, and obviously with the global financial crisis you've you know been through some challenging times I'm sure in there as well certainly most businesses have what do you think of the things that that have helped you do that other than some you know some good technology yeah so um, we we started selling that software as a service early on and we've always done that so we're focused on getting this recurring revenue from our customers which is really really nice and it helps you through a lot of those tough patches so what we'd do is as we would get more customers on board it would increase our recurring revenue and we would then as our sort of revenue went up we would then say well let's hire some more people and it might be more salespeople, more engineers marketing whatever you need and then as they came on board started contributing to additional revenue we would then hire more people. So we've just so we pretty much bootstrapped the company um, all the way. Um, and so when the financial crisis hit, um, we, we, we're now sell, selling primarily to online retailers. Um, so retailers were hit hard by the financial crisis, but online re- retail was one of the sort of bright spots. Um, but we did have customers that went out of business or who had to, you know, um, sort of dropped us for lower cost solutions. Sure. Um, but we had some of them come back. Some of them did go out of business, and we, some of them we lost as customers. Um, we had a small dip in our revenue, but we recovered it. Um, I, th- I think the, the dip started in about January of, what was it? Was it 90? 2008? Yeah, sorry, sorry, 2008. I was, um, yeah, yeah, was it? Yeah, so it might have been January 2009 the dip started. We re- recovered the revenue by July. And then it's sort of been onward and up from, upward from there, so it was a very, very small glitch for us. That's that's great. That's a, that's a great story. So yeah, I think there uh, there are a lot of you know, benefits if you can get into that sort of recurring uh, you know payment type model, particularly if you've got uh, you know a great product that people are unlikely or a service that people are unlikely to uh, uh, to move away from. So you, you've obviously had that uh, a pretty impressive sort of curve there. Now, how have you raised the sort of funds for growth recently? Because there've been some you know, a few changes in the business. I know uh, you know you've you've reached out to one or two people for investment and then you've reached out uh, somewhat more broadly with uh, um, a, a listing. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, if I sort of go back to the start, originally we, we started with um, some funding from friends and family um, and, and that was just enough to get us going. Um, and then uh, we had, uh, um, we, we brought on some some funding from Pioneer Capital, so New Zealand Venture and Venture Capital Company. Um, and that was in nine. Uh, sorry, in, in two thousand seven. How important was that having that funding at that time for you? So uh, that was actually pretty important. Uh, well, the reason we, the thing that initiated it was one of our shareholders, NBC, 
wanted out. So, so when we bought our technology back, we gave NBC some shares because we didn't have any money to buy the technology. And then they said that they wanted out. So we raised the money from Pioneer and used part of that funds to buy NBC out. Um, and then having Pioneer on board as, a, as an investor was really useful for us. Um, uh, we've got had Matt Helpman from Pioneer Capital on our board and they'd had experience at taking companies to the public markets before. They'd had some experience with Raycon um, early mm. on. Mm. Um, and they're involved in a n- number of other tech companies. Um, and so w- when we were looking uh, more recently, we've, we'd identified that we could bring more capital into the business and identified how we would invest that when we got that on board. Um, Pioneer Capital, in the meantime, had been involved in the MOA listing, so they'd been through that listing process uh, very recently, and and that experience was really really useful for us. Uh, we used a lot of well, we used almost exactly the same advisors that Moa did uh, to to do our listing, um, and and so that that experience from Pioneer was extremely useful for us. That's fantastic, yeah. Because I guess yeah, if if, if you're coming to this thing sort of completely green and you and you don't know how to go through those processes, uh, having those sort of right partners, investors uh, must must uh, make make the world a difference. Certainly, take a load off your own shoulders. Yeah, I think it was a really good example of how um, an investor brings more to the table than just the money that they're investing into the company. That's great. And uh, you know, with with obviously the growth in numbers and 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 so on, what are you able to share in terms of your uh, your revenue growth as well? Yeah, so we've just um, done our first. Uh, so we listed the company in May May thirty one this year. Our financial year end is June thirtieth. So we've just had our first results announcement. Mm. So the, what the key number that we measure our revenue by, uh, or measure our business by, is our recurring revenue. And so that's sitting at about uh, just around about twenty million dollars New Zealand, um, and that, I think we had twenty five percent growth in that over the last year, and we're aiming for about thirty four percent growth over the next year. So, um, uh, and the way we're getting that growth is we're investing in more salespeople, more marketing, and more more engineering resources. Um, now we're selling primarily into the US. That's sort of sixty-five percent of our business odd, um, and uh, we're going to be hiring more salespeople in the US, in the UK, and Australia, New Zealand, which all of our they're our major markets. But we do have two new markets. Um, Brazil is now worth about five percent of our business, um, and that's that's our fastest growing market at the moment. And we're just starting to go into Japan. So we've got our first customer there. We've formed some relationship with partners and uh, in the process of setting up a Japanese subsidiary. So how do you go about entering those sort of new markets? Going into the US, you've, you've got an office there. You know, there's a lot of sort of similarities, I guess, between yeah, yeah, working in New Zealand, Australia, US and UK. Uh, but going into South America, going into uh, Japan, uh, that's got to be fairly challenging, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, and somewhere like uh, Brazil's is a difficult place to do business. It's um, reasonably sort of bureaucratic uh, and socialist. There's a lot of tax. Um, but that's also an advantage if you can work out how to do business in those places. There's less competitors there because it is difficult. But it's a huge market and a huge opportunity. Um, and for us, Brazil, we sort of got into initially uh, the Brazilian retailers were coming up to the US to learn about how US retailers were selling online, and that's where we met our first Brazilian customers and acquired our first customers through those relationships. Um, we, that then sort of 
made us take a look at the market and we saw the opportunity down there. We've formed relationships with partners who are selling on our behalf in that market and that model's working really well for us. We're supporting them, um, helping them make some revenue um, and but basically we have Brazilians selling to Brazilians mm-hmm. and you know, people want to deal with local people and I think that's part of the success for in, in each market that we're working in. And obviously, it makes a yeah. It's it's absolutely key to find a great partner in those in those particular areas. And yeah, I'm sure you've you've heard stories of people that have gone into some of these markets and uh, haven't had too much luck with with their partners. Did you have to put a, a, a lot of time into finding those right uh, the right partners, or you felt you got, you've been quite lucky in terms of connecting with the right ones? Um, you know, reasonably early on. Well, there has been a lot of time go into it. Um, the people that are working those markets have made a lot of visits to Brazil, um, have uh, and and so have put a lot of effort into choosing, making sure that we've got the right partner. We've also made sure the agreements are such that if they don't perform, then we can go elsewhere if we sure. need to. So we've definitely heard those horror stories um, in the past, and been keen to avoid avoid them ourselves. Mm. Now, looking looking into the uh, the Asian market, how uh, how big do you think the opportunities are there? Uh, you know, because you uh, you've got certainly challenges, I would imagine, from a uh, not just a language point of view, from selling, but also having your uh, you know your technology ad- adjusted to work in, uh, in in different languages. Yeah, and so we're doing quite a lot of work at the moment on the Japanese. Um, uh, sort of implementation so for the early customers that we've got the f- first first customer we got was a small New Zealand site that was selling into Japan that we built for free the first paying customer was sort of one that one of our partners put in as a test and then as we're starting to work with other prospects we're refining our technology making sure that it's up to the standard that it needs to be and we're also learning about how we're going to sell into Japan um, and we you know like we've done in Brazil we want to be having locals we want to be selling through partners. We want to have local Japanese people selling to our Japanese um, customers. Uh, so it's all a learning experience, but um, you know that's part of the investment we're making is into the product to make sure that it does what it needs to. Mm. So with uh, with with markets like uh, Japan, obviously some sort of you know various cultural differences there as well. Have you, you know, have you had some particular sources of uh, of help in terms of that? Have you brought people on board uh, here in Christchurch that have sort of you know helped help direct that? Well, we've done quite a lot of work um, talking to other companies that have sold into Japan and how they've done it. Um, this is we have um, partners of ours in the US that have successfully sold into Japan. We've talked to the various um, uh, or there's various companies that help people get into Japan. Funnily enough, it's, it is very sort of multinational. The, the, the person that's running this is based in Australia, which um, is sort of in the, the time zone that's best Closer. suited for it. Yeah. Um, but we have um, US partners of ours that have gone into Japan, so the US companies that help US companies go into Japan. We've also been talking to Trade, uh, Trade New Zealand about... Um, what they can do to help us um, and then we're also talking to various other people that have got experience in Japan it's amazing how many there are um, and that they're in Australia and New Zealand and in the US. Mm. And how helpful have you found you know, government resources in terms of uh, pushing out into, into international markets? Um, they've been reasonably helpful always willing to 
to talk to us a lot of a lot of what they're set up for isn't necessarily for software mm-hmm. um, it's a lot a lot of it's based around the primary industries um, but there are more and more software companies that are doing this sort of thing um, so uh, it's difficult to point and say oh this is exactly where they've helped us but I, I, we, we did recently have a, a, a meeting with uh, the Brazilian team um, mm-hmm. and you know the they were able to help us um, find some tax advice. Um, we're still working with them, actually, to w- work out what's the best structure for each of these um, uh, sort of markets. You know, how, how should we be structuring the Brazilian company or the Japanese company and, and what are the tax consequences and getting that sort of advice. And that's where they are quite useful. Mm. Yeah, I guess, you know, if nothing else, if you go to them with a with an area they're not familiar with, they, they do have... Uh, yeah, reasonably strong networks within the within you know within each region. Yes, I, I'm, yeah. I mean that's been my experience. I guess you found the same. Yeah, and like there's a um, we actually found this independent of trade trade industry New Zealand, but we found a, a lawyer who is um, registered to, to work in New Zealand and Australia and the US and Brazil, and he was like perfect for us. Wow, wow, <laughs> yeah, that, that must that must be fairly unusual. Now, um, yeah, from a cultural perspective, um, building and growing a company like SLI Systems, there's a lot of competition for, uh, you know, the, the, the smart brains, the, um, um, yeah, the, the best talent within the New Zealand market, particularly as we're seeing, uh, you yeah, more and more growing, uh, growing businesses uh, that are that are looking for the for the best and the brightest. What are the things that you've done from sort of a leadership perspective and a and a, and a cultural perspective within the business to create you know, an environment that people you know, want to participate in and uh, you know and, and stay around? Well, first of all, we try and create a a work environment that people really want to be part of and. Uh, you listeners here won't be able to see where we are in Epic where we're doing this podcast, but we've got a fantastic work environment here um, in the Epic building that kind of just reeks of um, entrepreneurship and opportunity, I think. Oh, it's great. It's a, re- <laughs> it's a really cool space. And, uh, yeah, I'm quite pleased to finally uh, finally get down to here to uh, have a look. Um, and um, so, so, so we do a lot of things to, to just make this a, a nice place to work re- from the simple things like uh, we have stand-up desks, we have um, a massage guy comes in a couple times a week, we have shared lunches that we do, uh, we have a shared morning tea time. It's very, very social. Um, but there's also an um, environment where we are working hard, we appreciate work that's done well, and people can sort of grow and thrive in that sort of environment. And, and we've got a great um, history of... You know the retention of our staff here has been fantastic. We haven't had pe- people leave. I mean, we've had almost no one leave that you know we didn't want to. Um, uh, so, so we're very, very happy with what the what our retention of our staff have been. The bigger challenge is, is finding their staff and getting them in here. Um, however, we have found since we've gone public, it has improved somewhat. And I'm not sure if that's just because it's raised our profile a little bit. Or whether it's the people that we're talking to feel a little more secure coming to work for a, a company as, that is public, uh, but it has helped somewhat. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's a it's a com- combination of those things. When we step back and look at, hey, there's not just the Christchurch office to run, but you've got your other operations internationally. 
how much of a challenge is you know has that been to uh, to run these bases that are uh, often at arm's length because you can't be uh, you can't be in all, certainly be in all places at once. Obviously, you get out and travel uh, a reasonable amount, I presume. Yes, well, um, travel is a big part of it, and not just for me, but for the whole team. Uh, you know, we've got someone visiting from the US here today who just walked past the, the door. Um, so we're always having people from the various offices go and visit and spend time in the other offices. It's it's difficult uh, building and maintaining a global culture, but we do whatever we can. We do make make a, a lot of use of um, uh, video conferencing. You know, be it Skype or GoTo Meeting. Uh, we just built, bought, and this is, we just bought a telepresence robot for the San Jose office. Yeah, yeah, um, I think I saw from, a photo of that. From Double Robotics. It's um, uh, it's pretty cool, actually. We're, we're still in this sort of testing phase to try and work out whether it's a toy or a tool. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think it may actually be quite useful. I've, I've found when I used it, to, and basically all it is is a little iPad on a on a robot that you can that you can remotely control and drive, drive around, around the, the office. office. Yeah, yeah. And I found when I, um, one of the first times I was testing it, I drove down like to the marketing department and ran into a couple of the women in marketing and had a conversation with them that I wouldn't have had on Skype. They showed me the the whiteboard and what they were working on at the moment and I gave them an update on the, the, a hire I'm making. And it was kind of the conversation you'd have in the com- in, in the hallway if you were there. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And so everyone's got access to that robot. Um, and and that's a, a fairly low-cost piece of technology to put in place. Yeah, but yeah. If, it, if it can just bring you a little bit closer, that's, that's got to be really valuable, doesn't it? Yeah, and anyone in the company can access that. And so uh, I was just emailing today with one of the remote salespeople who found it really useful to be able to go and have conversations that he otherwise couldn't do. Or, or if his boss wasn't at, at his desk, he could go and find out where he was. Yeah, yeah. Go, <laughs> just go for a walk So around. some of those, some yeah. of those things are, are useful. I, I also try and over-communicate as much as possible. Um, there's a weekly email that goes out sort of with an update on here's what's happening in the company that all my management team contributes to. And a lot of their teams um, put, put effort into that. Um, and, uh, you know, we have monthly all-team meetings um, about every two months, <laughs> uh, and uh, do whatever we can to try and you know communicate it, but do it globally. Um, and yeah, how how about uh, you know managing deadlines and targets and 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 those sorts of things? How you know, how do you do that sort of you know across the board from uh, you know from here? So the dev team is all based here in Christchurch. Um, more challenging is the sort of product management trying to work out what it is that we should be developing because that needs input from uh, the market. And so the, the, that team is also based here but has to travel a lot, has to spend a lot of time talking to the people that are market-facing, the sales team, the marketing team, the um, client-facing team, and also going and visiting customers and talking to customers themselves. Okay, good. And and anything else that you, that you can sort of share about the the uniques about how you run the business or the or the or the things that you think are uh, you know have really become part of the DNA at SLI. Um, well, something that's a big part of our DNA is um, our, our focus on on the customer and on making sure that we do well by them. Mm. Um, and this is just really uh, well. I think a lot of it is driven by by my CTO, my chief technical officer, who has this ethic that 
we've got to do well by the customer. You know, we've got to, if they're paying us money, we've got to make sure that they get a good service. And that's just flowing right throughout the, the whole company. And it's actually been just what we needed because as a software as a service company, you've got to make sure that your customers are getting value for money, that they're happy and they want to stay with you. Because the value we get as a business is in having them as customers for a long time. And they're only going to do that if they're happy with the with the service we're giving them and um, they're getting value from it and value that they can understand. And so we have this real culture of um, one of the things we do that's a little unusual for our customers is we don't charge professional services. So when a custom, customer asks us to change something on their search, we just do it for them at no additional cost. Um, whereas any other company would charge for that. But I've seen companies that get this sort of um, professional services revenue and then are focused on trying to do whatever they can to optimise that. And often that means they're, they're, the, you know, optimising that isn't in alignment with what they should be doing for their customers because a customer asks them to do something, they're like, oh, yeah, well, we can charge you some more money for that. Whereas with us, um, and they're motivated to make it take as long as possible to stretch it out, whereas for us we're motivated to make to do that as efficiently as possible to minimise the amount of time we spend on it because we're not charging them for it. So as a result, a lot of our customers tell us that we're one of the most responsive vendors that they deal with. We don't have all the overhead of having to accurately scope out a piece of work, quote for it, and then do all the variations and all of that. We just do it. Um, And I see that as an investment in uh, not only protecting that long-term revenue, but in making sure that we have happy customers that are out there being our advocates and telling other people that they're happy for us. Yeah, that really is unique. That's great. Now, looking at the sales side of the business, again, challenges being uh, not being absolutely everywhere, and you know, there, I guess there are all sorts of ways of sort of you know going to market and 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 selling. How do you go about you know acquiring new customers? Yeah, so our model is a we have a direct sales force, so we have um, a sales team in the US, we have a sales team in the UK and in Australia. We don't actually have any salespeople here in New Zealand. Um, uh, although we do have New Zealand customers, um, the, the sales is done out of Australia, um, and that's just because of the size of the market that we're selling to. Um, so, so we, uh, and it's a little bit like I said, Brazilians want to buy from Brazilians, Japanese want to buy from Japan's Japanese. Well, it's the same with Americans. Americans want to buy from Americans, and so we've employed Americans. Um, the nice thing about the, employing US salespeople is you can find people that have got just the sort of experience you're looking for. Um, so you can find people that have sold to e-commerce before, or you can f- find people that have sold to uh, that have sold search before. Sometimes people that have sold e-commerce search before. So so you can get people with with very very good experience um, in a market as big as the US. But there must be there must be so many potential customers, and in, in for instance the US. How do you go out and do that, or is, or your your sales guys just good at sort of the the, the door knocking and, and, and cold calling or they've got a lot of relationships in there or have you got a pr- strong presence at trade shows or, or you know, Yeah, so we do a, um, so we do a lot of marketing that's, we've got a, a uh, when we started the company we sort of sold to whoever, need, whoever we could. We had very broad, and a lot of companies sort of make this, I don't know if it's a mistake or what you need to do to find out where you should be, but we, we were selling to anyone that we could that needed better site search. And I think there's the whole world needs better site search. There's still, if if you look at um, 
almost any website you'll find it's got bad search unless they're a customer of ours. Um, <laughs> but uh, in 2003, we went through this exercise to decide to focus on, on online retailers and in the US initially, and that's expanded to other markets. Um, and we're sort of starting at, at the top, so we, we can sort of, we've got a list of the top online retailers in the US, and we are going to trade shows that they're going to. So I'm going to one in Chicago next week, shop.org. We'll have a booth there. Um, we may have some of our customers speaking, um, and we'll, we'll meet people there and they'll turn into customers. But we also do um, webinars, we do white papers, we do email marketing, um, we have uh, an inside sales team, market development reps who are on the phones calling these people. Um, we've got a marketing team that's sort of focused on producing materials to that are attractive to these people. We even do a podcast, they're good things. Yeah, great, <laughs> great. And how many customers have you got now? Uh, so at the moment it's uh, 400 and something. I forget the exact exact number. And it's about 700-odd uh, sites across those those customers. So it's still a relatively small number. Um, but you've got some pretty big names in there, right? Harrods and uh, what, what are some of the customers you can you can share with us? Yeah, and uh, frustratingly enough, the biggest customers don't let us tell people that they, we have them as customers. That's often the way, <laughs> isn't it? Um, however, yeah, we do have some, some big names like um, Harrods and, and Next in the UK. We have uh, some well-known brands like Jelly Belly and Tupperware. Um, uh, Hot Topic is a, is, a, is a sort of large retailer selling to mainly teenagers in the US and most of the malls. Ulta is a large cosmetics company. Um, here in New Zealand we have uh, like the Warehouse and Mitre 10 um, and probably some others that I'm, I'm f- forgetting about. And, and in Australia we're working with some great cu- companies over there such as Surf Stitch, um, uh, who, who do uh, all, the, all, all the surf gear, um, seller masters and, and, and others. Um, uh, I think Australia is about thirty percent of our revenue now. Great. Now, often, often when we, you know we, we hear about different businesses, it can uh, you know maybe spark that interest in, uh, in in finding out a little bit more. Uh, sometimes we wonder, oh, is this a, is this a sort of business I should be in, investing in? Particularly for those that are listed, where where do you think the potential is for uh, for the growth of sort of SLI? Uh, you know, longer term, is this a well developed market uh, that you're in with a lot of competitors? Uh, or you know, what what does it look like? Is it is it good you know room for growth over the next sort of five or ten years? Uh, yeah, it's, so t- to be clear, we're we're selling site search and related services to online retailers. Um, w- we think it's an underserved market. There are a lot of competitors, but there's a lot of a lot of um, retailers are using the default search that comes with their e-commerce platform that is almost always substandard. So we see a huge potential there. Um, in the geographic markets that we're selling to, but we also see that there's other geographies we can expand into. Um, we also see there's a lot of opportunity for us to develop complementary products to sell to our customers, and we have a history of doing this. And with the new capital we've brought on board, part of what we're doing is investing in R&D. Um, and we have this very close relationship with our partners, uh, with our customers. We have... I th- we're serving about three quarters of a billion queries per month across all of our customers, so we have a whole lot of data about what their users are doing on their site, and we have um, the structured data of all their products. So if we're able to sort of combine that, um, all that information and come up with new ways to help our customers' businesses, then I think that's where a big part of our opportunity is. 
And do you have statistics sort of, you know, from, say, you know, before, uh, you know, you get involved with a customer and then over time in terms of what the, what the impact is on, on sales? Is that something you're, you're able to, uh, you know, work with them and, and, and break down numbers on on, on a regular basis? Yeah, we have um, some, some pretty compelling statistics. Um, various case studies from, from some customers will report uh, like a 200% increase in conversion rate for people that search from when they um, from before they put our search on to after they put our search on, and you know that, and so that that gives them very clear value. Basically, when they put our search on their site, they sell more stuff because people are able to find what they're looking for on the site. Um, and then on top of that, our site champion product, um, which I haven't really talked about, it uses the data from site search to help our customers rank in Google, so they can see that they get this additional traffic, and that they see that it's one of the best converting sources of traffic they get. People come to these pages we create. They then go on to buy buy products, so they get very clear um, uh, value from that as well. Well, everyone want, wants their uh, results to uh, to do well in Google, don't they? So. Absolutely, and if they can see that um, not only do they have pages doing well, but the people that land on those pages are, are going on to buy products, then you know they're willing to pay for that. Yeah, well, that's what that's what you're after, isn't it? Oh, that's great. Okay. Oh, well, that, that's great. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Sean. It's been great to hear about Eastside, to hear a little bit of the uh, history. Anything else that we should know before we uh, before we finish up? No, I think that's been really good. Thanks very much for your time. Great. Well, where do we where do we find you online? Are you on uh, Twitter or any social media? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter uh, occasionally <laughs> when I get time um, uh, at uh, Sean Ryan S H A U N R Y A N, or the company one is S L I Systems S or one word. And you can also find us at sli-systems.com. That's great. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for listening into this Global Voice Media production. To hear about the latest New Zealand business podcast episodes and to find links to further information, you can subscribe to our updates at nzbusinesspodcast.com. You can also like our page, facebook.com slash nzbusinesspodcast, or follow us via Twitter at nz underscore business. And feel free to email me, Paul Spain, feedback at globalvoicemedia.com. The New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by BNZ, helping you be good with money.